to do this morning is to pick up where I left off last week. We were talking about right and wrong reasons to leave a church. And in doing so, I focused more on my own personal journey in church life and the couple of times that I've had, um, I've had the circumstance presented to me of, of leaving a church and the, the time that I did it the wrong way and for the wrong reasons and the time that I did it the right way and with the, the right reasons behind that and the difference that I experienced in my own personal life. And I'd also share just briefly with you some preliminary considerations at the end last week about different struggles that churches experienced in the first century. I just kind of gave you an overview survey of seven or eight of the uh, congregations in the, in, the, uh, in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, later in the book of Revelation even, of churches that struggle with what we would consider to be very serious issues that in the midst of those struggles, the Lord gave specific instruction, exhortation, and encouragement to the members of those churches to respond to those difficulties in a particular way. And I had shared how in none of those cases the Lord's response was, um, okay, there's this trouble going on, therefore you need to leave in order to get away from this trouble. In the, um, in the cases of the, the examples that we read, and I think if you would read through the rest of the New Testament, you'd find no contrary examples anyway. The, the advice of the Lord, the, the counsel of the Lord in the midst of those difficulties is resolve the difficulties, go to work on the difficulties. Like in one case in Revelation, we didn't really read this particular word of advice, but just to highlight this as an example, in one of the churches I'd read that was struggling very deeply, very seriously, there, was, there were serious problems going on under the surface in the congregation. And the Lord's response or the Lord's counsel to those who were still in a place to hear clearly from the Lord and to respond to the Lord's direction was to them strengthen the things that remain. Strengthen the things that remain. And what that implies is that the Lord fully expected the individual members of the congregation to remain in a committed place and in a committed connection to one another and to use the very difficulty they were passing through corporately as kind of grist for the mill as God would, would move forward in accomplishing his deeper purposes in each individual's life in that congregation, not to mention the congregation as a whole. But I also mentioned that I felt that there, there were some reasons that would merit leaving a church, and I do believe that, and I'm going to cover a few of those today. But one, whether, whether we're dealing with an issue that I would categorize as a right reason to leave the church or a wrong reason to leave the church, the reality of the fact is people leave churches. That's just the reality. People leave churches. And we need, to, we need to be a people of reality. We need to be a people that are willing to deal with the real life circumstances that even Christian living and Christian corporate living presents to us. And so in, in facing up to the fact that people leave, what I'm hoping to accomplish for all of you is not to teach in such a way or to exhort in such a way that um, you would never ever possibly make the wrong decision yourself because ultimately that's something that you're going to have to deal with and face when that time comes in your own life. But I do want to equip you for that moment. I want to prepare you for that moment so that you come into that decision and come through that decision thinking more biblically about your decision, thinking more spiritually about your decision, 
thinking more maturely about your decision and not just deciding as so often happens when church difficulties occur, people leave. And I would just tell you this, I mean, I'm not commenting on any one case or any one example, but the majority of, of reasons why people leave, it's just a, it's an emotional decision made in the heat of the moment because things are hard. And none of us like difficulty. I mean, I, I'm speaking for myself and I'm confident that this is your, all, all of your common experiences also. No one likes difficult things. We don't choose difficult things on purpose for ourselves. But we know this, that the Lord is, is committed to accomplishing certain things in our lives individually. What he's after, ultimately, is that each one of us, individually, would be conformed to the image of Christ. And what he's after corporately is that we would be a pure golden lampstand that would, in the greatest possible way, shine forth the glory of God in the earth. And the only way that we can get from point A, not personally being conformed to the image of Christ, and B, not corporately a pure golden lampstand, is for God to take us through circumstances, both individually, in our own private lives, and corporately, as we move through difficulties together, that are God's means of shaping and molding us into the very thing that he's really after. And if we, when we get into the very thing that God has designed to take us over the hump of immaturity and into a greater place individually, if we bail out, on some personal life circumstance, just when God was about to use that very circumstance to conform us more fully to the image of His Son, what do we do other than we waste that circumstance in our life? And what happens for us corporately is a very similar thing. The very thing that God designs to take us through to a greater place of maturity will at times, when we first experience it, we're first, our hearts are first impacted by it, we will emotionally react to that situation and will bail out because we can't handle it. We think we can't handle the stress of it or the emotion of it. But we know this as a basic biblical principle of all Christian living. God will not give us more than we're able to bear. Don't we, don't we know that as a people? Don't we know that God, God determines what we can bear, not our, we ourselves? I, know, I have my own standard. You know, I set the bar at a certain level and I say, okay, God, this is how much I can handle. And you know, and we all do that for ourselves. But where does God usually set the bar? Just a little bit above where I set it. <laughs> wherever I set it, I don't care if I set it low or high, wherever I happen to set it, my common experience is this. He sets it a little bit above that. Because what he's after is stretching me. He's after, I mean, to, to conform something means to take it out of the shape it was once in and into a new shape. And the only way you can do that is stretch the thing out of shape to get it into a new shape. And so God does that with us individually. He does that with us corporately. And, and these kinds of difficulties are the very things that God uses. But the reality is people leave. And so when that time comes, I think the first thing we need to do, whether it's happening to ourselves or whether you're in, interacting with someone that is considering doing that, either here or somewhere else. You may, have, you may be in fellowship with a believer that's in another another fellowship and they're leaving in the wrong way or the wrong attitude or for the wrong reasons, you can be used by the Lord to, to be an anchor point for them because they shouldn't leave prematurely if they haven't gone through the right kind of process. The very first thing we should do as we're, we get to that point where we're feeling like we've got to leave, I need to leave this place or wherever it is that the Lord has us planted at that point, we should stop and ask the simple question, why am I leaving? 
why am I leaving? And we should be clear about the reasons why we're leaving. What are, what are the reasons why? Why do I feel like I need to be somewhere, and in many cases, anywhere else other than here? And you know how that, that gets to be a perspective? Sometimes it's not so much that I'm leaving to go from here to some specific other place. I'm just leaving here, and I don't care where I go as long as it's not here that I stay. I just want to go somewhere, anywhere else. And when we get to that place, we need to be clear, we need to help others be clear about their real heart-level motives for wanting to make that decision. Heart-level motives. And there are some right and wrong reasons about that. The first one, the biggest one, I guess, would be if there's some kind of doctrinal problem. And, and usually, um, leadership-type concerns are one of the big issues that are on people's agenda when they, when they come to the place of, of considering whether to leave, because leadership has so much to do with the, the life and the direction of a church. And so ultimately, not in every case, but in many cases, when a person is ready to leave, they have some kind of concern or some kind of problem with leadership. And one of the bigger categories in that leadership concern would be a doctrinal area. Now, in terms of what the scripture would advise us about responding to doctrinal concerns and whether or not that should motivate us, should drive us to make a new decision in terms of church life and church connection, I think we need to, we need to identify some basic categories of what kind of doctrines should cause us to consider leaving and what kind of doctrines shouldn't cause us to consider leaving. Because the, the Bible does differentiate between what I think maybe the best way I could describe it is between what we would call heretical doctrines and anything else that doesn't fit into that category. A heretical doctrine is a doctrine that really attacks the foundations of Christianity, attacks and undermines the very foundations of our faith. They're doctrines that if you, if you adopt them, if you wholeheartedly believe in them, will take you off course for what God's purpose is for your life and in, in a dangerous, dangerous way. They're doctrines that affect biblical fundamentals like the, the nature of the Trinity, the, the person and work of Christ, uh, the means of salvation, how it is that we actually get saved. And when a church moves into a... Uh, a place where they have adopted some doctrine that attacks and undermines one of those foundational areas, then that's a time, I think, where we at least need to start praying and considering whether the Lord would have us to move on into a new direction. And, what, and, and I'm, not saying start, I'm not saying immediately just knee-jerk, I'm out of here the very first week. Like, let's say, let's say next week, you know, God forbid, but let's say next week I were to stand up here and just teach some whacked-out thing doctrinally. You know, just, I mean, I'm just coming out of left field and, you know, all of your jaws are on the floor and you just cannot believe what I'm teaching next week about Jesus or about uh, the Bible or about the Trinity, something of that nature. Should you immediately just like wholesale, just leap up out of your seats and, you know, like a stampede, head for the back door? Um, I understand the, the desire to do that, but should you do that biblically? No, I don't think so. Uh, I gave you the example last week of, of two or three different churches, one of which uh, would be like the, the, church, the churches, the whole series actually of churches in the region of Galatia that had really moved into a serious area of doctrinal compromise. 
And it wasn't that they didn't have a good start. Paul the Apostle had personally been involved in founding these churches, establishing them on, on the truth of God's Word. But what had happened is some other men had come in behind Paul's work. Paul had gone on to other areas, and they had come in, and they had really, they had really taught new doctrines that undermined the work of God through Paul. And one of the doctrines they taught was a subtle and deceiving mixture of grace and legalism. And it was, it was such a deceiving mixture that the Galatian churches as a whole just adopted this teaching and they got off course. So much so that Paul has to write them in the book of Galatians in chapter 3 and, and identify that their current spiritual condition as a corporate body of people is that they had been bewitched by this teaching, bewitched by it. Their, their minds had been so, their perspectives and their understanding of the gospel had been so tweaked by this wrong teaching that the whole church had gone off course. And so what does Paul say to them? You know, head for the hills, run, get out of there as fast as you can. No, he says, go to work on this area. Do not believe this teaching. Make the adjustment, change it. Don't continue to follow along these teachings. But let's just say, because we don't have the benefit of, of what happens after the book of Galatians. Paul writes the book of Galatians and he gives them this new advice, this new counsel. Let's just say after the fact that, that um, the, the core of people that were not going to believe this wrong teaching, let's say they make the effort to make the adjustment and they, they go to the leadership and they, they appeal to the leadership and they go through a long process with them, meeting with them, sharing biblical concerns with them. And let's just say the leadership is just entrenched and refuses to budge. And they're just going to continue to, to hold to this mixture of legalism and grace. And so much so that we're talking about it really changes the gospel, as, as Galatians chapter 1 says. It's really another gospel that's now being preached. At some point, the people that remain are going to have to consider separating themselves from that group of people that are teaching that. Because otherwise, what's going to happen is, is you're going to get yourself into that kind of a circumstance where the, the book of Corinthians, it's actually in 2 Corinthians, it talks about how, how light cannot fellowship with darkness, how Christ cannot fellowship with Belial. And the idea there is that there's a point in time where when you have a fundamental <clears throat> undermining of the gospel taking place, there has to be a separation from that thing. And if a church or if a leadership is so entrenched in that thing, and there are some in our midst, and I'm talking about not here in this congregation, I'm talking about in terms of like um, the broader Christian community or what goes under the name of Christian. Uh, Greg and I, in, in starting to uh, recently in starting to just take a look at possible facilities for rent out in the, in the broader Chatsworth area. We're driving around the other day. We happened to drive into a warehouse that had a, a name of a church up on the warehouse, and it's just literally right around the corner from here, uh, a few blocks away. And uh, we walk into, and it's a beautiful layout, and we start talking to this person, and come to find out, it, I mean, it, it goes by a Christian name on the church, and everything seems to be Christian on the surface, but I happen to know something about the doctrine of this particular group. This is a group that believes that the only way you can ultimately be saved is if they personally baptize you, and if you're not baptized by them, you're not saved. Uh, you could, you know, you could believe everything else right, but if you're not baptized by them, you're not saved. Now that to me is a subtle undermining of the gospel. That's a, that's a type of New Testament legalism where that's a heretical teaching in its essence because it changes the, the teaching of the means of salvation. And so 
The idea there is that that leadership of that church has been confronted, not by me, but by many throughout the last few years in the body of Christ. And they have just refused to adjust. They've refused to, to take to heart those things. And so as a result, that church is locked in to going that direction. So if someone came to me and said, I'm a member of this church, and this is what they teach, what should I do personally? I would have no problem or no hesitation to counsel that person to say, you know what, you need to leave that church because they are going that direction. They are not going to turn around. They're not going to make the adjustment. But as things develop in the life and the health of a congregation, you need to understand that sometimes churches have to pass through those kind of difficulties in their growth and adjustment process. I shared a couple of, uh, two or three weeks ago about my own, uh, my own uh, church experience in Thousand Oaks. And one of the things before I got there to this church that I found out about after I got there is that one of the pastors of this church earlier in the history of the church had begun to teach a doctrine from the pulpit, from Sunday morning messages, that ultimately he believed that everybody on the final day of judgment will be saved. Everybody. He believed in what is called universalism or universal salvation, that no one will ever finally be lost on the final day. And he believed that for, in his mind, good reasons, because he thought that's how broad and how wide the love of God is, the mercy of God is, <clears throat> that God would not exclude anyone from his presence on the final day. Now, this was the pastor of the church, and this was, before he began to teach this, a good, solid church. Now, he's teaching this from the pulpit, how do you think this is impacting and influencing the church? I mean, this is a trusted man. This is a man that, that had been powerfully used in other ways up until that moment in time. So what happened was the other elders of the church had to make a hard decision. Do we go along with where, the direction this guy is going or do we stop and confront him? And they made the decision to stop and confront and in that spiritual battleground, this man made a decision to step away and he left. And the church got back adjusted back to a healthier direction in the Lord and got back on track doctrinally. But what if everybody in that church, the first week this man had taught this thing, just bailed? What would have happened to God's purpose for that lampstand? And I hadn't even been there yet. And yet God used that very place to bring me to maturity in the Lord, to grow me up and give me an opportunity to develop in the Lord. And so what I'm saying is you have to discern in terms of doctrinal issues what kind of doctrinal issue you're dealing with and whether it's, it's something the church is passing through or whether it's a long-term commitment of the church to hold to error and to teach error and to indoctrinate their people in error. But there are other doctrinal areas that you might be concerned about that I would say absolutely should not be a reason to leave the church. But you might be thoroughly concerned about them. You might be even stirred up about them. What other areas besides what I've called heretical areas? Well, there are areas that, um, there are areas like, for instance, um, what, what, um, what we believe and do in terms of, of method of baptism, for instance. Like we, we happen to, we happen to practice um, immersion. We dunk people under the water when we baptize them. John Slay was baptized recently, and we took him out to Greg's um, um, spa, and we dunked him under the water. But what if we believed in sprinkling? 
and some do in the Christian community. Is that a reason to separate? Is that a reason to say, I'm out of here because these people uh, dunk rather than sprinkle, or they sprinkle rather than dunk? Or let's say uh, you have a different perspective than I do on the area because I happen to be the one doing uh, the teaching here. What if I stood up one Sunday soon and began to teach a particular view on Bible prophecy? And which I'm going to, not necessarily next week, but someday I'm going to get to that and we're going to be teaching something on that. And I have every confidence that when I do that, I'm going to, I'm going to stir up some of your hearts. And, you know, some of you aren't going to particularly like what I have to say about prophecy and what I believe about that in the scriptures. And you have every right to be stirred up and to be concerned at whatever level you feel that I'm missing the Lord in that area. But is that an area that the Lord would encourage us or counsel us or instruct us to separate fellowship over different views on prophecy? Or for instance, um, we passed through some things recently talking about different church government models. And I spent the last uh, 10 weeks up until this last Friday night on Friday nights teaching about church government models in the scriptures. And I have a very a very specific view on church government. And those of you who didn't have the opportunity to um, come to those Friday night teachings, we do have those on tape, and I'd encourage you to get those. But if you haven't heard the teachings yet, you're going to hear some things that may challenge you. You're going to hear some things that may stir you up. You may not agree with everything I had to say about the subject of church government. Of course, you would be wrong about that, but, you know, that's okay. I mean... <laughs> But no, I mean, seriously, you, you might not agree with me. You might think, you know, Tim has really gone off the deep end with this church government thing. He's just kind of got his own pet little hobby horse here that he's riding. And whether or not that's the case, ultimately, as it impacts the decision about where the Lord would have you to fellowship, should that be an issue in your many considerations of where you go and where you end up? I would say it should not. None of those three examples, and I just gave three examples, there are dozens of examples in the scripture of, of doctrinal concerns, things that matter, things that are important, but things that are not essential in terms of whether you believe that or not will affect your eternal destiny, it will affect your salvation, or it will ultimately impact the very core of your relationship with the Lord or with the body of Christ. Those are areas that what I would recommend instead that if the Lord has brought you here and he's planted you here, what you should do is you should use those very areas as opportunities to grow in your interaction with the people that you disagree with. So if I happen to be the one that you disagree with, use that as an opportunity to grow in your relationship with me and me with you. There may be some perspectives that you have been taught by the Lord that I need to hear from. So come and talk to me about it. I'm open to that. I'm interested in, in talking back and forth about doctrinal stuff. But don't be surprised if I offer you some things to consider too and to chew on. Because that's, I think, the way the Lord would have us to grow up. It's the old, as Proverbs describes it, iron sharpening iron thing, where those are the very things that God uses to, to cause us to, to develop and grow together in our understanding of the scriptures and the word of God. Now, um, I, I had also identified there are, some, there are some other reasons why people tend to leave, and probably the biggest reason beyond just a doctrinal thing is, is serious disagreement that people get into in their hearts with the direction that they perceive that the church is moving or the leadership of the church is moving. And this is where I said I'd, I'd get us to eventually in Acts chapter 15. So why don't we turn there now. Acts 15. Most of you are familiar with this story. This is from the um, relationship of Paul the Apostle and Barnabas the Apostle. 
Paul and Barnabas. Acts 15.36, we'll read through the end of the chapter. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. We don't really have a lot of detail behind verse 38. There is a, a description earlier in the book of Acts. But we don't have a lot of detail as to why John Mark had deserted them. But we know this, that in the first missionary journey, as Paul and Barnabas left, they had taken this young man with them as a kind of a helper to their work. And he had started the journey with them, this apostolic missionary journey. And somewhere along the journey, he bailed out on them. He just couldn't handle it. For whatever reason, he decided to go home too soon, before the work was done, before the mission was accomplished. And apparently, Paul viewed that as a desertion, and he was hesitant to involve John Mark in any further helpful work with them. I would imagine from the standpoint that Paul's thinking, look, we just can't count on this guy. So why would we want to take him along with us? He deserted us once. I don't really see any change in him. Why would we want to lean on him a second time and have, uh, you know, have that, that same kind of thing to deal with as we go along? Barnabas was of a different perspective, and he wanted to give John Mark a second chance. He wanted to bring him along, probably in hopes that maybe he's learned his lesson and, and uh, he'll be a little more solid this time and we'll get the work done and we'll get it accomplished. So they talk about this behind the scenes and they have uh, you know this beautiful spiritual concurrence of perspectives and they just you know they hug each other and they pray and weep and they you know they're all one big happy family from that point forward right you know that that would be a nice end to the fairy tale but the reality is this for verse 39 there arose such a sharp disagreement and in the original language the words sharp disagreement are, are doubly emphasized in the sentence. There arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The... Uh, the reality is this, that there can be times when people in the Lord can begin to move different directions in what they perceive the Lord would have them to do. And they can end up getting into such a place where they need to separate. And it's not necessarily God's best, it's not necessarily the ideal, but it's the reality of the circumstance. The story isn't painted in such a way as to paint here Paul is the good guy and Barnabas is the bad guy or Barnabas is the good guy and Paul is the bad guy. Neither one is, is commented on. We don't know who the good guy or the bad guy was or even if there was such a thing. All we know is there was a sharp disagreement and they separated. Now, the, the concern to me about that though is this. Turn back to Acts 13 for just a moment. Verse 1. 
This is, this is what um, precedes the event that we read about. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon who was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. The, um, the joining together of Saul, who becomes Paul at this point, becomes known as Paul, Saul and, um, and Barnabas was not just some strategic human decision being made by a missionary board getting ready to need to send people out to do some work. This is the hand and work of the Lord. This is the purpose of God. This is the calling of God in the lives of Saul and Barnabas that they would have been joined together and knit together and serve side by side and work together in the purpose of the gospel. But what happens in the reality of the situation is some two chapters later, I don't know the exact time frame, but some two chapters later, these two men who knew, they both heard the word of the Lord to serve together, now they're going separate ways. And so this is not God's ideal, but it is the reality. And God deals with the reality. And he, he, he doesn't, when we get to chapter 15, he doesn't, he doesn't like arrest spiritually either Saul or Barnabas and say, wait a second, wait a second, haven't you guys forgotten what I said to you in Acts 13? He picks up from Acts 15 and he deals with them from that point forward. Barnabas goes his way with John Mark. Saul goes his way. Paul goes his way with uh, Silas. And God blesses from that point, And God works with them from that point. And so it is a reality that people can get themselves into places. And there can be any number of reasons that sharp disagreement arises. Here it happened to be over the, the qualification to serve of one particular young man in the Lord. And the disagreement was so severe that they could not serve side by side for that purpose. And so God takes them from that point and deals with them as they go forward. But there's any number of reasons, and I, I, there's no way I could catalog all the different things that could stop what God's ideal purpose is from continuing forward as sharp disagreement arises and people need to separate. Now why in this case in Acts 15 do you think they needed to separate? Why did they need to separate? I'm talking of it in terms of a need. I think it's because the disagreement was so sharp and so severe Let's say they just white-knuckled it and continued forward together. What would have been the result? See, the, the, the thing is, there's a principle going all the way back to the Old Testament, and the prophet Amos describes it this way. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? You know, how can two serve side by side in the work of the kingdom unless you have a foundational, basic level of agreement about what you're doing? And so God accommodates. He doesn't... He doesn't prefer our sharp disagreements, but he accommodates our disagreements knowing that we are only human and we do not always see everything from God's perspective. And so he accommodates that and he takes these men and he works with them and blesses their work as they continue on from that place, going into separate directions. Now, uh, in terms of listing out some of the, some of the uh, reasons for leaving, let me just give you a, a short list of like five things that, 
that I consider to be automatically wrong reasons to leave, in addition to the things I've already talked about. And when I say they're automatically, in my perspective, wrong reasons to leave, is because I don't think if, if these are motivations for people leaving, I don't think they're, they're, they're thought out at a deep enough level. And people tend to make, as I said earlier, emotional snap decisions to leave before they really come to grips with the biblical principle that should be driving their decision rather than the emotion that is driving the decision. The first one is this, um, and, and I'm using these, by the way, based upon um, things that were recently, and I'm saying recently within the last six months, shared with me at one level or another about real reasons why people did leave the congregation. One is, um, I just need a change. I just need a change. I've been here for whatever, pick the time three years, five years, ten years. Some who left had been here as long as ten years. I just need a change. Now, from a biblical thinking perspective, how would that impact other areas of your life? You know, I've been married to my wife now for <laughs> 11 years, you know. Let's say August, you know, coming up on our 12th anniversary, I surprise her with a nice anniversary card, and in the card I, I say, honey, I do love you, but you know what, I just need a change. <laughs> How far is that flying, you know? <laughs> and not just with my wife. How far is that flying with the Lord? What is that? I just need a change. You know, see, that's not, a, that's not, that's not choosing based on biblical principle or on, on something that God is motivating in that person's heart. It's just a reaction to a difficulty. Because you know what? When we say in our marriages, I just need a change, what we mean is, this is hard and I don't like hard. I want easier. And so I just need a change to something that I think is going to be easier. And that happens on a church level, too. It happens actually in every area of our lives. It happens on the job. You know, I've been working this job for X number of years, and I just need a change, you know, because it's hard. I don't like this job, or whatever. And there are certain areas of our lives, obviously, where it's more important to stay committed than others. Uh, I would put marriage above even the particular location that I'm going to be fellowshipping in church. There are some commitments that are more critical than other commitments. And obviously the most ultimate commitment is we would never want to say to the Lord in prayer, Lord, you've been good to me so far these 20 years, but you know what? I just need a change. I'm going to go check out, um, you know, some other God. Maybe he'll uh, make my path a little smoother the next few years. So you don't want to, you don't want to react or act on that kind of a basis. Um, the next one, this one I heard quite a bit. Um, I'm just, I'm just, either I'm so upset with some of the people that are there or some of the people that are there are so upset with me, I just need to get away. I just need to get away because it's hard, it's, it's difficult. And this one would be very close to the Paul and Barnabas kind of thing, the sharp disagreement kind of thing, the, the difficulty in personal, interpersonal relationship in the church. And you know what, there, there may come times where you've gotten, such, you've gotten yourself into such a place or someone else has gotten themselves toward you in such a place, such a sharp disagreement that you just need to get some distance and you need to get some separation. But what would be the better way? Yeah, resolve it. You know, as much as it is possible, if, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Do whatever it takes to be at peace. You know, blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the sons of God. They're, God calls us to difficult interpersonal relationship on purpose. He doesn't always pick out for us the easiest people to get along to to be in church with. Have you noticed that yet? 
you know? I mean, he picks us, he picks for us a community of people that some of them will bless us and encourage us and just make us feel great, and some of us will just always rub us the wrong way. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So, you know, okay, I, I just need to get away from those people, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go find a church where all, people only rub me the right way. Yeah, well, good luck, you know. That's not going to happen. I mean, there may be a, you may buy yourself three to six months of relative peace until people get to know you. <laughs> right? And then you're right back where you were before, wherever it is. You know, it's like that old saying, you know, wherever I go, there I am. You know? <laughs> well, how about this one? You know, I don't, I got to go because I just don't like the, and you fill in the blank, you know, the worship. His worship's not my style. Or I just don't like the topics that the pastor is picking on Sunday morning. Or I just don't like the youth group. It just doesn't meet the needs of my kids. Or I just don't like the Sunday school. Or I just don't like the whatever. Fill in the blank. And you know what? Some of those concerns are more weighty than others. And some of those should be uh, weighed in when you make an original decision as to where God would plant you and place you. But once you're planted and once you're placed, you need, to, you need to properly evaluate how those type of things should impact your decision to leave the place that God has planted you and placed you for his greater purposes. Because the last thing you want to get into is kind of a, uh, kind of a uh, restaurant kind of mentality when, you, when you're interacting in your heart and your mind with the, with the church, with God's purposes as a lampstand in your life. The last thing you want to get into is a cafeteria kind of mentality where, you know, the whole thing of, of picking a church or staying at a church is all about going down the, the aisle and saying, you know, well, you know, of course I like the roast beef, but don't give me the asparagus because I can't stand asparagus. And, you know, there are always going to be things on the menu wherever you go that are going to be more tasty to you, and there are going to be things that you have a hard time choking down. But, you, you know, isn't that part of God's purpose for us too? Is it really, I mean, as we, as we interact with this stuff, is it really all about that God wants us in a place that just makes us feel good and uh, is palatable to us and I can walk out every Sunday morning just feeling like I'm floating on a cloud because everything was exactly the way I wanted it? Is that what the purpose of God is really about, all about in church life? I don't think so. I really don't. God certainly doesn't treat me that way in my individual life outside of coming to church. He doesn't so thoroughly arrange the circumstances of my life that I'm just, you know, floating on one giant marshmallow of life. That's not the way my life is. Is it the way your circumstances are? No, of course not. And God doesn't separate church from that kind of a purpose. And then, uh, how about this one? You know, my needs just aren't being met there. I heard this one quite a few times. My needs just aren't being met. Now, there's all kinds of reasons why that could happen, and, and each case is individual, and, and who knows, you know, maybe someone's needs really aren't being met. But let's just say, worst case scenario, you're in a church for a period of time, and your needs really aren't being met. Then what do you do with that? Well, I would say the greater thing to do would begin to, be, to begin to pray and to seek the Lord and to consider, well, 
why does God have you there to begin with? Is it that he brought you here to get your needs met? Because if that was why God brought you and your needs just haven't been met at all, then God made a pretty big mistake in bringing you to begin with. Or maybe it's that God brought you to start to grow up out of that perspective a little bit and start to think in terms of not, hey, my needs aren't being met, but how many needs around me am I meeting? Maybe God is taking you deeper. Maybe God is taking you beyond what 1 John chapter 2 describes as the childhood phase of Christian living. Maybe he's moving you into the young man phase or even the fatherhood stage where your life becomes more oriented around what has God called me to do and to have an impact on the lives of the people around me. And you know what, what I've discovered as I've continued to grow and move forward in the Lord is that as I focus more that direction, my needs tend to get met. My needs tend to get met. I mean, not even, not even so much from the standpoint of all of you individually you know, doing something to meet my needs, but God tends to meet my needs as I'm busy trying to do what God would have me to do to meet your needs. And that's God's pattern and purpose for all of us, because this is all about growing up in the Lord, not just being comfortable in the Lord. All right, let me give you a few right reasons to leave. I'm going to give you uh, one, two, three, four, five, six that I thought of. There may be others. Right reasons to leave a church. When the Lord actually does remove a church's lampstand. I'm just going to give you some scripture references here, and I won't take you for the sake of our time to each one of these places. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. We've talked about this recently. The city in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, the Lord Jesus spoke to the church and he said, um, you need to be on guard because if you don't change something, and what they needed to change was that they had left their first love. If you don't pay attention to that, if you don't change that, I'm going to come and remove the lampstand, your lampstand, from its place. So let's say that happens. Which, by the way, has anybody heard anything about the church in Ephesus here just recently? You know, there is no church in Ephesus today. Now, you might say, oh yeah, of course, because that was 2,000 years ago. But, I mean, where's the, where's the time boundary on God's lampstand? Does the church worldwide still exist? It absolutely does. Is there a local church expression in the city of Ephesus today? No, there's not. Even though there is a town there, a village at least. There's no church there. There's no Christian presence in Ephesus today. Somewhere along the line, God did remove the lampstand. So what I would recommend is if it ever does get to that point, that's probably a pretty good time to think about moving. You know, if there's just no, if there's no presence of the Lord there at all, what the Old Testament called by the term Ichabod, the glory has completely departed. What God described uh, metaphorically or symbolically in the book of Ezekiel, when he was going to bring final judgment upon the temple in Jerusalem due to the, the extreme rebellion and immoral compromise of the entire nation of Israel and especially the leaders in Jerusalem, God showed Ezekiel in a vision that the, the glory of God, which was residing within the temple precincts and especially within the Holy of Holies over the, um, the Ark of the Covenant, lifts up and departs from the temple not to return. So if it gets to that point, I would say that's a good reason to leave. That's a good reason to leave the church. God removes the lampstand. Second one, this is a very practical one. Acts 18 verses 1 and 2, you can read that in your own time. The Lord moves you and your family to a new city, a new location. 
where it's just not practical for you to fellowship in the same place you were at before. And God does this. In Acts 18, that's the example of how God moved uh, Priscilla and Aquila from one geographic location to another. And of course, what that implies is they're going to be part of a new lampstand now. God is bringing them to a new Christian fellowship. And at times, God will do that with our lives for other reasons that we can't anticipate. It might be a job change or might be a need to move to another location to take care of a family member. could be any number of things that God is doing. When that happens, you need to move because there are other biblical principles involved like fellowshipping in a, in a local area. We need to be connected to people that live somewhere nearby us. I know that some of us live further out. I know we have people even as far as Newberry Park or Thousand Oaks or on the other side, the Santa Clarita Valley and Sherman Oaks. And, and it's the blessing of God that we're able to find ways due to the, the good freeway system and the, the vehicles that we have to, and the phone system and stuff to stay connected with each other. But at a certain point, when you get far enough out geographically, it's just very difficult for someone to think about just dropping by your house for Christian fellowship outside the, the Sunday morning or the home group meeting. And so, yes, there is a principle there that when you move to another city, that's something that you should at least consider before the Lord as to whether he would have you to change your church situation. The next is right here in Acts 13, verses 1 through 3 that we've already read. And I'll call this the Lord increasing your role in the kingdom. Paul and Barnabas, at this point in Acts 13, 1 through 3, were happy fellowshipping in the church in Antioch. They'd been there for a year. And I'm sure they were satisfied and content with the church and what God was doing, the new thing, the exciting thing that God was doing in the church. But, but the Lord speaks to both Saul and Barnabas, and he says, set them apart for the work I've called them to do, and he sends them out. Now, God is increasing Paul's role. He's increasing Barnabas' role. He's doing a new work in and through them. That requires for them to change their relationship to the lampstand that they formerly were part of. But that's a good thing. That's a godly thing. That's something that God is doing. That's a thing of increasing fruitfulness, not just some selfish decision they're making on their own, on their own motives. The next is, let's say, and we have an example of that. I wonder, I'd probably use her as an example here. Uh, Jay and Karen are engaged to be married. Karen is in the process of changing her church relationship from a good, solid local church, church at Rocky Peak right up on the hill, to Chatsworth Christian Church. I think that's a good thing because she's changing because she's marrying someone that's part of this church. Now, Jay and Karen could do this. They could get married and they could both go to their separate churches. I wouldn't recommend it. You know, and they had to go through a process where they were praying either to be here or to be at Rocky Peak. And we're blessed that the Lord has spoken to their hearts to be here. But either way, it's a good reason. That's a good reason to leave. That's a good reason to make a change in your church commitment. And then the last one I'd like to give you is that, uh, let's say the Lord actually calls you to go to another church for some unforeseen reason. This is something that happened with me. I shared this from my own testimony last week, where, um, I believe it was last week, where the Lord spoke to my heart when this church was getting established in the very, the very first couple of weeks of this church being established. And as I'm praying for the church and praying for the work that God was doing in the church, the Lord spoke to my heart that I was to come down and be a part of this, and I was to help lay the foundation for this church. And I went and communicated that to the elders of the church that I was part of at the time and asked them to confirm that word. But that was a situation there where um, I, you know, I didn't know for sure. I didn't have some objective outside 
um, testimony or thing that I could point to to prove that God was going to use me in a certain way here at Chatsworth Christian Church or had some specific purpose for me here. There's no way I could go to those elders and say, oh, by the way, guys, 10 years down the line, I'm going to be the pastor of that church. I had no clue that that was going to happen, and neither did they. But God had a purpose. God had a reason. And, and I believed at the time God was calling me to move from one location to the other. And as a result of that, God blessed that, as I shared last week, and there was a fruitfulness that went along with that. But unfortunately, when people leave to go from one church to another, they're not usually leaving with a clear calling from the Lord to go from one specific place to another specific place. Usually, like I said earlier, they're just leaving as a reaction to the old place. And I'm just going to go. And I don't know where I'm going, and I don't know when I'm going to end up somewhere else, but I'm just going to go. And unfortunately, you know what? There have been a number of people that have left the body that have still not found a new church home. And I think that's a sad thing. And I also think that's an indicator that God did not necessarily lead them to make that decision in the timing and the way that they made it to begin with. And so, for your sake, I want us to all be understanding that God can call you to go to another church, but you need to have a sense of direction about that, not just this vague kind of gnawing at you that I just don't want to be here anymore, I just want to be somewhere, anywhere else. Now, when it gets to the point that you are leaving, and you know in your heart that you need to go, and, that, and like I've said, the reality is there will be times, both for good reasons and bad reasons, that that, that, that happens. I have one word of advice for you when it gets to that point, and that is seek counsel before you make your decision from those that God has appointed over your life as spiritual authority. Now, the hard part of doing this, as I shared briefly last week, is that when you get to the point where you feel like you want to leave, most of the time, a lot of the time, part of the reason for wanting to leave is to get away from those people that you should be seeking counsel from. And so that makes it very difficult. But it's critical at that moment that you do this as onto the Lord, not as onto those individuals, not as onto those men. Trusting that God's pattern and God's way is for your benefit and for your protection and for your safety, and ultimately for his clear direction in your life. And there are basically three responses to this. Uh, principle of seeking counsel with the shepherds of the flock before you leave the flock that uh, I want to identify. One is, is uh, going with the attitude of seeking counsel. Two is going with the attitude of ignoring the counsel, knowing you're going to ignore it before you even hear it. And three is going with the attitude of avoiding the counsel when you receive it. And I think all three of the things can happen, and I've, I've, I've seen all three of these things happen in the process of people leaving in the last few months. I, I look back at an old list uh, as I was preparing this message, an old list from a few months ago, and in the last six months I was able to identify 50 households that have left this church doing this in the way that I would recommend that you don't ever do this. Meaning, fit, I, I was able to identify 50 different households that never bothered to even say boo to me personally when they left. And I don't think they said boo to any of the other elders either, any of the other shepherds of the flock. Now, the, the, the way this happens is this. If I come to seek counsel, even if, let's say, I'm not in the total best place with the people I'm seeking counsel from, or they're not in the total best place from, with me, I'm coming with this heart attitude. I'm going to pray before I come, and I'm going to be asking the Lord, Lord, 
I believe that ultimately, whether these guys are doing it the best way or not, whether these guys are in the best place or not, I believe that ultimately, for this moment in time, you've placed these individuals here by your hand and for your purposes. And I'm going to pray and trust that you're greater than these men, that you're greater than their ability to make the wrong decision. I'm going to trust that you're going to speak in them, through them. You're going to deal with their hearts. I'm going to trust because you're the great shepherd of the sheep that somehow or another you're going to move in and through this conversation that I need to get to next. And if it's to leave, I pray that you will confirm that through them. And if it's to stay, I pray that you'll confirm that to them. And I'm coming with that kind of a trusting, humble attitude toward the Lord. Now, I believe this. God is able to move powerfully with that kind of a hard attitude as we come. God is able to work powerfully both in the elders and in the person that's seeking counsel in that situation. But let's say I come and I've had this experience. Let's say I come and I'm going to come to just inform you, which is good. It's good, by the way. I appreciate the respect that many showed to at least inform us of their decision, you know, to say, okay, by the way, I'm out of here. I'm gone. See ya. Never see me again. And, you know, I had those kind of communications. But it's one thing to come and inform knowing that the person that you're informing doesn't necessarily agree with your decision. I mean, in the Lord. I mean, before the Lord does not agree with your decision. And that they've been appointed to have a certain kind of spiritual responsibility for your life before you're making this decision to inform them in this way. And your mindset is, because you're in a bad place with them or they're in a bad place with you, that's it. I've made up my mind and I don't care what they have to say to me. I'm just letting them know and then I'm gone. That's what I would call ignoring counsel to your own detriment, to your own danger. Because you know what? It's never a good thing in the kingdom to put yourself in a position where it's just you and God and you are disassociated from the need to interact deeply and spiritually with the rest of the body of Christ and in particular the authority that God has placed in your life. It's just never a healthy thing and it only opens yourself up for all kinds of, of things that you don't really want influencing your life and your attitude and your heart. But probably the most subtle one is this one I'm calling avoiding counsel rather than ignoring it. Because most people are not bold enough to just flat out come up and say, I know you don't think I should leave and I don't care what you think, I'm leaving anyway. Even though if you did, most people are not quite that bold. They'll tend to just avoid the counsel. And what I mean by avoiding is this. You can, uh, you can come and inform someone and inform in such a way that you're not really asking that person for their input, you're just wanting them to know, you know what, I love you, I care about you, and I'm really needing to move to another place, letting you know I'm leaving, this is my last week, God bless you, and see you. Without ever stopping to just ask the question, you know what, though, just before I go, do you feel that this is the Lord's purpose for my life? Do you think that this is what God is doing with me right at this particular time in my life? Can you confirm this in the Lord? Can you agree about what God is doing with me and my family at this particular time? To avoid that counsel. And why do we tend to avoid that kind of thing? Because we, we don't want to be talked out of it. We've made up our minds. We know where we're going and we just don't want to have to go through that difficulty. But that difficulty at the exit is God's design for your protection. It's not there to hinder your life or to control your life. That kind of in interaction at the, at the exit way of the church is for your blessing. It really is. And that's something you have to believe. That's something you have to trust before the Lord.
And probably the worst thing is, uh, <laughs> I had one uh, recent situation where uh, someone asked my, uh, they came to me and they, they respectfully asked my input, and when I shared my input, I didn't think in this particular case it was a good decision to leave. They agreed with my, with my input and my perspective, my discernment, and they went away, and uh, next thing I heard, they were gone anyway. <laughs> You know, so I, I put that in the category of asking and agreeing and then just, you know, doing your own thing just because that's pretty much what you had made up your mind to do anyway. So um, all of these are, I'm just sharing these examples and, you know, I, the last thing I want to do is get into a thing where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stimulate you to imagine who I might be talking about or thinking about that kind of stuff. The point isn't about anybody in particular here. It really isn't. The point is this. If we've passed through a major transition as a church, and all of these kind of issues just happen to get highlighted by the transition, but what we should be learning from that, those of us who remain, is we should be learning more biblical ways to think about these kind of things so that when and if that circumstance ever crosses our pathway, or we're interacting with other believers either here or in other locations that are dealing with these kind of questions, we're able to bring some more biblical perspective to the issue and not just, you know, you know react because it just feels like the thing I need to be doing right at that particular moment. And I shared with you the tragedy that I've experienced in my own life and in the lives of a few close ones uh, to me of people who have ignored those principles and have experienced the consequences of that in their own personal um, circumstances. And I just don't want to see that for any of the rest of us. So let's pray. And um, as soon as we're done praying, I'll ask for the prayer ministry to come forward. I